Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. The reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 5 to 22. In the days of King Herod of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them was ri- were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were going on in years. Once when he was serving as a priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now, at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him, an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make a ready people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how will, I know what this, how will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute. unable to speak until the days these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning them and remained unable to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection. We continue centering ourselves through a prayer connected to our breath. So on the inhale, we pray, gracious God, and on the exhale, we pray, lead us by your spirit. So we'll do this silently for a few moments together.
We thank you that you are for us. You are above us and below us to our right and to our left. Behind us and way ahead of us. Emmanuel, guide us as we consider this scripture this morning. Amen. So as Pastor Matt said, here we are, we are in Advent. Advent is the word for coming or arrival. And the church, the ancient practice in the church and tradition has been to prepare for Advent over several weeks for the Advent of Christ's coming, Christmas. And so a few introductory remarks. Advent is not a story to look at from a distance. Advent is not a story to just learn more facts about, although that's not a bad thing. But Advent is a story that's inviting us to participate. In fact, the church starts its annual calendar at Advent. So church-wise, Happy New Year. And so we are now in the second week, starting the second week of Advent, and we are plunging into the beginning of Luke. If you just look at Luke chapter 1, it's like 80 verses. There is so much packed in this one chapter. It's impossible to unravel all that's going on. Um, But a few things to consider as we do so. It has been 400 years since God has spoken to Israel in the ways that they were accustomed to through an anointed prophet or through visions with some of the prophets within Israel. He has, for all intensive purposes, been very silent and they are waiting, big time waiting, for God to show up and to make good on his promises. And so we start, when we start here, Luke is telling us a little bit about the social situation um, of, what's, of what's going on. He says, in the days of King Herod, King Herod was not a nice guy. King Herod was a tyrant. And the Hebrew people were an occupied people. The Romans were there, and they wanted to keep order in the way that they kept order, which we know a lot about that. They had been waiting forever to have their own land and be free from the tyranny of occupying powers. Zechariah is a temple priest. There were 24 of them who worked two one-week shifts through the year, and he was on his shift at this time. It says that they cast lots, which was the way of providing... uh, security against humans messing up with it so they just cast lots to see who would go into the temple and offer uh, incense the offering of incense and it was Zechariah who was chosen he was on his rotation and we're told that he belonged to a very respected priestly order his wife even was a descendant of Aaron which in Jewish history is a big deal that's a good thing It says that he and his wife were righteous before God. They were living blamelessly according to the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children. Elizabeth was barren. And we need to remember, it says at the end, it doesn't use this language, but they were of retirement age. So here they were of high status in the the church, if you will, or with the Hebrew people walking with the Lord, and yet childless. Now, for a Jewish hearer of this context, 
all of these bells and whistles would be going, these echoes would be happening. This is not the first time in Israel's history where there's somebody important that didn't have a child. You may remember all the way back to Abraham and Sarah, something very similar had happened there. And time and time again, God comes through for the people of Israel when things seemed dire. Well, it says that at the time of offering incense, there was a group of faithful people outside of the the temple praying. Zechariah is entering into the holiest place within the temple. And in there, he's going to make an offering and he's going to have this uh, incense that is an offering as well. And as he comes in, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared at the right hand of the altar. Zechariah was jumping for joy. No, he wasn't. It says he was terrified, and if that wasn't clear enough, it says fear overwhelmed him. Remember that throughout the Old and New Testament, when God shows up in a very palpable and tangible way, it always seems to elicit fear. But the angel of the Lord says, do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard. We didn't realize that there had been prayers happening, um, but apparently they have been praying for a child. He says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. Even though John is not in your family history, John means God is gracious. You will be, have great joy and gladness. Many are going to rejoice with you. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He needs to remain pure uh, by having no drink. And this is a, a reference to hi- historically um, people being set apart for God's purposes. The Holy Spirit is going to be in the womb. You, he will turn many people to Israel, even to God. And he will have the spirit and power like Elijah. He will turn his hearts towards the children, the disobedient to the righteous, and he is going to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is really good news. So again, Zechariah is probably just super rejoicing, right? Well, no, he doesn't. In fact, Luke is, as we said, locating this story with all of these echoes, right? We've talked about Abraham, not fearing. We have Elijah. This isn't the first time we've heard of Gabriel, the book of Daniel. He shows up there. Isaiah 40 uh, talks about John's role of preparing the people of God. And so all of this is happening. All of this should be echoing for Zechariah. Wow, the fulfillment of time has come. But this is not the way Zechariah responds. He responds in saying, how in the world is this going to happen? Prove it to me. Not the response that Gabriel was thinking was going to happen, or certainly not the response he was looking for. So what is this grand narrative? Zechariah is waiting for God to come with the Messiah to restore the Hebrew people to their role in the world of being a blessing to all nations. It has been a long time, we've said, 400 years Zechariah must have been thinking, is God still listening? Can God really be trusted? They had been praying for a child, and they were in their retirement years. And then he says, how will I know that this is so? Why should I believe you? 
I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So here is uh, a key point. Waiting with our longings can result in disappointment, bitterness, and hopelessness if we're not waiting in trustful expectation. Actually, we can lose sight of God's goodness. We can forget God's promises. We can even feel unheard, unseen, and forgotten. In a sense, there was no room left in Zechariah's heart for God's promises. There was no expectation that God would show up or come through. In a sense, it seems as though he may have been going through the motions. There are two key and consistent refrains of God throughout all of the scriptures. You can remember this. One is the message of consolation. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. And then secondly, God's exhortation, do not forget the Lord your God, but remember. Remember what I did in taking you out of slavery from Egypt. Remember how I've made good on my promises. When we get saturated in the seeming immediacy and urgency of our own concerns, we can easily lose sight of God's presence and promises. We can easily feel overwhelmed by the responsibilities, the vulnerabilities, and the insecurities all around us and within us. We struggle to find a trans-circumstantial centeredness in the midst of the waiting. You see, there is nothing sentimental about Christmas. And that is part of the danger with getting into the routines. I know in our family, our youngest son wanted to make sure that we got a Christmas tree even like before Thanksgiving. He wanted to start the celebration of the season, and that's a great thing. We were able to get it, I think, the day afterwards. You'll be happy to know. But with all the warmth and all the, fa- all the goodness that comes with the trappings of Christmas, all of that is in light of the celebration of the coming of Christ. We need to remember That Christ came to a people who had been waiting for centuries into an occupied nation under a tyrannical leader to the point of death. He came to rescue and restore us. And this was something that Zechariah, in the midst of the waiting, had not prepared himself for. And so what happens? How does God respond? God provides Zechariah and us with silence to be able to get realigned with God's presence and promise. In your bulletin, you may have one of these little paintings. It's a little picture. I encourage you to pull this out. This is a little painting from a book called Making Room in Advent um, by a colleague of mine. Her name is Betty Dickinson. She's a pastor and she's an artist. And it has 25 devotions to prepare your heart to be ready for Christmas. And what you see here is a painting from day number three. In this painting, on the bottom left, you'll see a stump. That's the stump of Jesse. And that's a a reference to the Old Testament where it says uh, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a shoot from Jesse is going to come 
And that's where the Messiah will come from. That's Jesus. And there's a, a hole there, like a womb. No child yet. In it, you'll also see a white figure, Gabriel, pushing, put, pointing his finger on Zechariah's mouth, making him mute. The white from the smoke of the incense rising up. Take a few moments just to look at that picture. Where are your eyes drawn? What do you notice? What stands out to you? Is there something you have for me here, Lord? Is there something that you want to say? An ancient practice that the church has done through the years is something called visio divina, divine watching, divine looking. You can do this anywhere. And we live in San Diego. You can go for a walk at the beach. You can go for a walk in the mountains. You could look at a beautiful sunset, sunset like last night and reflect, Lord, what are you saying? Lord, is there something that you have for me? Just like in this picture, we're invited to many things. But one is to notice that sometimes the words that we speak are not rooted in the reality of the greatest context that we're in, which is the story of God's redemption. Zechariah had yet to align himself with the story that he knew so well in his head, but had gotten disconnected from his heart because of the pain that came from waiting. The pain of the shame of not having a child. The pain of getting into old, senior living without being able to add to the family. The disconnect that came in his own personal life from the hope of having a child and Israel Mirroring that also waiting and longing for the promised Messiah. He was given the gift of silence. One of my favorite spiritual writers is Eugene Peterson. He was a pastor for many years. He wrote dozens of books. He's the one that translated the version of scripture called The Message, with which you may not be familiar. I encourage you to read it. Um, it is kind of a modern-day paraphrase, so you should read it alongside maybe other versions, but it really brings the scriptures to life. And um, he really is kind of my spiritual idol. I learned recently that Pastor Matt actually had a chance to meet him, um, of which I have absolutely no envy. There's absolutely, you know, uh, none of that there. My, my brother doesn't mean to make me stumble. Um, but I was re listening to a podcast recently where he was um, interviewed towards the end of his life by Krista Tippett, who has a podcast called On Being, and she had this long, luxurious phone call with Peterson. And they got on the topic of prayer. And this is something that Peterson said in the podcast. He said, if we pray without listening, we pray out of context. 
And if we speak without listening, we speak out of context. That's exactly what's happening in this story. Zechariah was living within the painful context of the smaller part of his difficulty in wanting a child and being a priest within a people that were wanting a Messiah and it was just taking too long. It had just been too long, too painful, too difficult, too overwhelming and that disconnect between his heart and his mind got bigger and bigger and bigger. Peterson went on to say, I think that listening is the part of prayer that gets neglected. You don't pray primarily to ask for things. You pray to listen. And then, once you've listened, you can hear God speak and then take you into the paths you had never thought about before. Peterson, in one of his books called The Contemplative Pastor, says there's three uses of language. The first and fundamental use or primary use of language is like what happens between a parent and a child. If you've ever seen a parent and a, a newborn or a very young child, the child eventually starts to make sounds with its, with its mouth. Not words, not articulating language yet, but like coos and grunts and all of these kinds of things are happening between the child and the parent. That is the language of connection, the language of intimacy, the language of knowing and being known relationally in a way where wholeness and shalom and fullness and goodness and reciprocity are happening in the way that we were made as relational beings. The language of intimacy is the first use or purpose of language. The second use or purpose of language, Peterson points out, is information. It's data. It's definitions, right? Two plus two equals four, whatever it might be. And we live in a world of a data explosion. I would say that data mining and going after data is the new gold rush of our age. Whoever gets to it first has the most power because then they can charge the most to the advertisers and companies who want that data. That's the world we live in. We are data saturated. The third and final use of language is the language of influence. Trying to get people to do, think, or say what others want them to do, think, or say. If you haven't noticed, we live in a language two, language three saturated culture and a language one anemic culture. Where in the world do we cultivate language one anymore? But see, prayer is all about language one. Not at the expense of the other two languages, of course. It's always in the context of what's happening in the world and around us and within us. But it's not just that. It's not just getting the right data. It's not just being able to learn the right things to influence other people in our own strength. No, Peterson said this in that book. He said a pastor's job, and you can pray for Pastor Matt. A pastor's primary job is to teach people how to pray. And teaching people how to pray is way harder than putting together a sermon or a mission trip. Or I mean, These are all challenging things. But teaching one another to pray, that's what we are all about. And this Advent, this Advent, through this story, God is calling us to pray in silence. So an ancient Christian practice, it's been mentioned here, is called centering prayer. 
if you haven't noticed, if you get quiet and alone, your brain has a lot of things going on in it. It's what another spiritual writer, Henry Nowen, used to call the monkeys in the banana trees. They're just screeching up there. Look over here, look over here. In fact, if you, if you listen enough, they get louder and louder and more and more active. They might even start, start throwing some fruit at you. There might be bananas coming and things that, I mean, just to try to get quiet is an exercise of great challenge. Centering prayer is a spiritual discipline where you ask God for one word, one word. It could be rest. It could be peace. And what you do is you take that one word and you get, your mind always wants something to do. And your mind likes to think that it's in control. So give it something to do. Let it go back to that one word gently and quietly as you're sitting trying to get silent before God. So maybe the word is rest. And as the monkeys and the banana trees are going and your brain wants to go and analyze and just let them go because they're going to keep doing their thing. And just bring your attention back gently to that word. And as the, as the ideas come and as the concerns come, you just keep releasing it as you come back to that word. Your mind says, in this moment, in this time before the Lord, I'm just going to stay present to that one word so that I can actually get quiet and still long enough to hear myself, let alone hear the voice of God. And so this Advent, between now and Christmas, my encouragement to you all and to myself is that as you consider this, this painting, as you consider this story, Consider the fact that when Gabriel said you will be mute, it wasn't some sort of retributive punishment to say bad boy. It was actually a gift hidden in challenge. How do we know it was a gift? Well, you'll have to read on in the rest of Luke 1 to see what happens. And what actually comes out of Zechariah's mouth at the end. And how God is honored. And how Zechariah is freed from the pain of self-pity. And restored in the joy of the promise of God's faithfulness. As his son John is being formed in his wife Elizabeth's womb. It's such a beautiful story. Maybe, just maybe, this Advent, God wants to reawaken our heart's capacity to trust him for things that we've stopped trusting for long ago. So much more could be said about the story. Elizabeth's response, Gabriel coming to Mary, Mary's response... We must read further to see what happens. But this Advent, may silence inform our listening, may silence inform our expecting, and may silence inform our waiting. 
May silence make room for the Christ to be born afresh in us. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, it's so hard to be silent. It's so hard to quiet our minds and our hearts. As Pastor Matt reminded us, yes, we have like this moment at Thanksgiving, and, but yet everything just picks up from there. This story, Lord, we pray that it will be true of us, that we will be a people that learn the discipline to be quiet before you, and that in the midst of the quiet, you would create space in our hearts to make room for the miracle of the incarnation. Amen.